Excuse me, I'll keep my coffee. Good morning, guys. Sorry. Sorry, I'm a little late here. Welcome to LifeBridge. Thanks so much for being here. I thought service started at 10, so, so I got here like 10 seconds late. My fault. Good to see everybody. Thanks for being here. My name is John, and I am the administrative pastor here, and we want to say welcome. We want to say thank you for joining us. And um, if you are visiting, if, you're, if you've been here for a little bit and you're looking to get more connected, there's a connect card in the seat back right in front of you that you can use. You can fill that out. If you're looking for more information, if you want to, you know, meet with somebody, whatever it is, that's a really good place to start. You can also come talk to pretty much anyone you see up here. You can come talk to us after service. We'd be happy, happy to chat with you as well. So welcome and thanks for being here. We also want to tell you about My Life Bridge. My Life Bridge is how we, um, for people who attend here, how you can stay connected. So at mylifebridge.church, we always have our upcoming events. Um, we, we have a, a daily a devotional that goes out on our podcast, an audio devotional and a written form of our devotional. You can find those on My Life Bridge, as well as audio from sermons if you ever miss a Sunday. You can give online from there, and you can also get signed up for email and text updates from there. So if you haven't yet, check out My Life Bridge. It's a great way to just stay in the loop if you're looking for, if that's what you're looking for, information to stay in the loop. My Life Bridge is a great way to do that. We also want to thank you for your giving. Thank you for supporting our mission. The work that we do relies on the generosity of the people who are here. Um, and we want to we bless our community. We want to be a blessing to one another. And, and our generosity is such an important part of that. And so we thank you for your faithfulness if you give. And if this is your home church, we ask that you do give. And you can give online. You can give uh, via Venmo. And there's also giving boxes on both ends of the hallways. Hallway, so up in the lobby and then right outside this door. And so thank you so much also for your giving. I'm going, to give, I'm going to give one last vision update. I've been talking for the last two weeks about our vision for this coming year. Our vision for this coming year is all in, all together. That's our vision. When we talk about this year, it's kind of the school year. Our, our church kind of runs on a very similar to a school year calendar. So we're kind of starting new things right now with that in mind. But all in, all together is, is our focus. And we're, it's, we're talking about what we are going to do together as a church this year. And we're, we're talking about three things specifically. The first is belonging together. We talked about that two weeks ago. I actually preached on it. And last week we talked about growing together. Today we're talking about serving together. So if you missed, I talked in a lot more detail the last two weeks. And if you want to, you don't have to, but if you want to, you can go back for context and listen to those, uh, those messages on belonging together and serving together. Um, there will also be, we'll, we'll be talking about this all year long, so you'll hear more about it. But today we're talking about serving together. But before we get into that, I want to talk for just a minute about the idea of all in, all together, what it is and why that's our focus for this year. It really has to do with, with us as a church trying to get back to our roots a little bit in some ways. We planted our church about seven years ago. And at the beginning of our church, there was, um, there was about 15 of us. And everybody had this sense of responsibility of like, I need to show up. I need to be a part of this. If I don't bring my family to church, attendance drops by 25%. So, but because there were so few people, we had no resources. Um, we didn't really know what we were doing either. But what we knew is we all needed to like pursue it together. As we've grown, um, we've had some really good things happen. We've had some big wins as a church. Um, but one of the things we want to get back to a little bit is that idea of we all need to be doing this together. And, and specifically when we talk about serving together, that's something that in the early days of our church, we did a lot of serving out in the community. We did projects out in the community. We were trying to build trust with our neighbors around the community. And we, what we knew is we didn't have a building back then. We didn't have um, 
any, like money. We didn't really have much, but we knew we could, we could have some sort of project to serve our community. And we did quite a few of those in the early days. We did, um, we did like free kids events. We, did, we just did a bunch of stuff. And in the last few years, we've, we haven't been doing as much of that. Obviously, COVID was a very difficult time. Our church, our instinct is always when there's a problem, go to the problem. And so when, when, when there's a problem and you're supposed to keep your distance from the problem, we kind of were in an identity crisis. We were like, we don't know how to help. We don't know what we're supposed to do. But this, this idea of, of being a church that serves, we serve each other, we serve the community. We want to be that kind of church, and that's a muscle we need to start exercising again this year. So we're going to make it a top priority, and what we're going to do is we're going to do what's called Sunday Serve, and we're going to do it four times in this, next, in this next year. And the first one is coming up on October 10th. What that means, and we'll talk about it for the next few weeks, but what that means is instead of having a worship service that day where we come in here and we do what we're doing right now, we will, we will actually worship through service to our community on that day. And so that's what we're going to do. And we'll continue, we'll continue to, to fill in more gaps, more details between now and October 10th. But we want to encourage you. We need everybody to be a part of this. This is what our church, this is what it means to be a part of LifeBridge Church on October 10th. We need everybody to be a part of this. And you can get started by signing up at lifebridge.church forward slash serve. And, uh, and we, will, we will be getting in touch and helping get things organized closer to that day. We've got a number of projects, some, um, some more community-focused, some focus more on helping people and meet the needs that exist in our church body. Um, and, uh, and so, yes, if you come in, we won't be asking you to, like, for instance, you won't just be cleaning the floors of the church. Um, it's going to be more externally focused than that. But there will be projects happening here as well. So if you... Um, we're going to be uh, packaging some care packages and doing some different things. So if you're concerned about, um, you know, your kids dropping off your kids and leaving the building, things like that, we're trying to make accommodations for those things as well. But we'll have more details in coming weeks. I just want to put it on everybody's radar. There's cards on the seat, so you've probably, you've probably figured it out by now. But, but please do come join us on October 10th. Sign up at lifebridge.church forward slash serve. With that, I'm going to welcome back, and I'm going to ask you guys to give a warm welcome to a guy who has not been in this pulpit for what feels like forever, but it's actually been like six weeks, uh, Pastor John Adams. Thanks, John. I feel like I need to have like a big opening with that intro. I don't. I'm going to disappoint you. Um, but yeah, no. First, first week back from sabbatical, took a month off in August, and uh, thank you for that. It was really needed. It was a wonderful time to just rest, um, find some time to get away from my regular responsibilities and pray and reflect, and uh, yeah, talk to a counselor, do a lot of good stuff. So it was a wonderful time, so thank you so much for, for that break. I'm really excited to get back and uh, start preaching again. I'm loving it. So. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into our new uh, sermon campaign. Lord, God, we love you. We praise your name. Lord, how good it is to gather and to worship you together in community. So, Lord, may this be Sunday just be a reflection of the worship that we give you throughout the week and every day. Lord, as we come here, may it just be a, a wonderful time to worship together and singularly focus on you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. All right. Our new campaign, uh, we're calling Reconstruct. So if you remember, over the course of the year, we've kind of divided up into the, uh, the year into like 12, 13-week blocks, and uh, we have 
So this here, it'll look a little bit different, but essentially the same. So we've got uh, four campaigns that we do. So we call them campaigns. They're just long teaching series, okay? And um, this one we're calling Reconstruct. The idea of this is uh, to talk about all these aspects of our faith that they're not really about Christ. They're not really about Scripture. They're not based in truth. They're more based in the culture, or in our life, or in our experience. Things that we have experienced, or things that we have seen, or truths that we have come to believe that aren't really centered around Christ. Growing up, where most of us did, uh, we have some experience with Christianity, where we've had a touch point, perhaps, even if you grew up in a home that wasn't Christian, you've had touch points with Christianity in our culture in some capacity. And so what that does is it it, uh, causes us to create some ideas in our head about what Christianity is all about that may not necessarily be based on scripture, but are more based on our cultural experience. And so our Christianity begins to be influenced by our culture, just as our culture is influenced by Christianity. So what we're doing in this series is talking about how we have constructed a faith, how often we deconstruct a faith, and then we need to reconstruct it. So we're talking about how to reconstruct our faith around Jesus, Scripture, and what the Bible truly says. So, this is a big problem, which if you think about it, and you look at, as we're preaching through this, I hope you'll be seeing it all throughout Twitter, Facebook, <laughs> all on social media, the conversations that you have. We all do this. This isn't to point the finger at you and say like, oh, you guys need to shape up. I do this. We all do this. We all have aspects of our faith that are kind of this blend or this intermixing, intertwining of our culture and our faith. And so instead of just living in this cultural Christianity, what we want to do is untangle them. We want to untangle these aspects of the culture that have crept into our faith and so that we are left with a more pure expression or more pure vision picture of Jesus and who he is. We want to root these things out. Because Jesus himself claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. And if he is that, then the goal here of Reconstruction is to see Jesus more clearly for who he truly is. So, to kind of begin this, I thought we'd do a broad overview today and just kind of talk about the broad journey of faith that we all go on. And we're going to look at one example of this. And throughout this campaign, we're going to see a number of cases throughout the Gospels of Jesus meeting people and this happening when they meet Jesus. So the first part of this is construction phase. So we're calling these like three different phases. Lots of different ways to kind of diagram our faith journey. Um, But this is one simple way. Uh, There's the construction phase. For most of us, this is childhood. So if you grew up in a Christian home, this was the faith that you constructed in your childhood. For me, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad became a pastor. Um, So Christianity was a big part of my faith and my life experience, and I learned a lot. And I gained a lot from that, uh, the early years, the construction phase of my faith journey. This is where I learned the faith. Even if you didn't grow up in a Christian home, you constructed a faith of some sort. You constructed a worldview. You constructed a way of interpreting the events that are happening in your life through this larger framework of God and theology and people and who we are. So you constructed some sort of framework, some sort of worldview, positive or negative, towards Christianity. We've all done this. And then, 
many times what happens is you come, run into this deconstruction phase. Now, deconstruction is a word that's super hip. So if you're on Twitter and you like, follow any, uh, any Bible teachers on Twitter, they're all talking about this deconstruction thing. There's books being written all over the place about it. Uh, if you took a philosophy class in college, you talked about deconstruction. But we're not talking about necessarily that deconstruction. We're talking more just simple, this faith journey of questioning. Okay, deconstruction simply means questioning, like being curious, where you start to question some of those beliefs that you just took for granted in your construction phase. Okay, we all do this to some degree. Some are more uh, dramatic cases than others. Some are fairly benign. Usually this happens in your 20s and 30s. Uh, typically, how you get into this phase is you have an experience that you can't really explain with your constructed theology or your constructed faith system. So maybe uh, what, what often happens is, is you meet somebody who you were in your construction phase of faith, you were kind of predisposed to not like, or you think they're living a sinful, a wrong lifestyle, and so subtly you're kind of deep predisposed to not liking them. What usually happens is in college or when you get into a job or you move to a more secular city is how this story usually goes. You meet some people and you're like, oh, I, I, was, I thought I wasn't supposed to like you, but you're, you're pretty nice. Like, you're pretty cool. I kind of like hanging out with you. And then through your interactions with them, you kind of, you, you, you don't know how to make that fit, perhaps, with your theology. Or you hear, which is, this is a, or you have a dramatic life event, like an illness or uh, a car accident or something serious happens or a relationship breaks down and that causes you to question a lot of your constructed faith. Very less commonly, you simply just have questions or you meet somebody who presents a view that you weren't aware of and so you start just questioning. That's far less common than the first two. <laughs> Far less common. And yet, that's what like many in, in my uh, constructed phase of faith, that's what everybody was afraid of. It was like, go to college and the professor asks you questions that you wouldn't have an answer for. That happens, but it's pretty rare compared to the other two of a dramatic life event or simply meeting somebody that doesn't fit into your constructed theology. And then the last one is reconstruction. So, the, since deconstruction is so cool now, what many young people particularly tend to do today is just stay in the deconstruction phase. So they just stay there. They just keep asking questions and don't ever come up with answers. And John and I, we, we recorded a long podcast about some of the dangers of that that I'm gonna, we're going to release tomorrow, so you can listen to that. But that can't be where we stay. <laughs> it's fine to ask questions. Deconstruction gets a very bad rap. It is good to ask questions. Um, when we ask questions, there's one quote that uh, I share in the devotional uh, from A.J. Um, Swoboda. He says, uh, doubt doesn't necessarily mean uh, it's not a bad thing. It just means you're thinking. <laughs> doubt means you're thinking. Thinking's a good thing, all right? Uh, it actually means that you have a faith that you need to question, you need to challenge things. So deconstruction can be good. It gets a bad rap in many Christian circles because it, we often associate it with the story of somebody who started asking questions and started pulling on one thread of the garment, and then before you know it, the whole garment unravels, and they've abandoned their faith, and they've walked away from Jesus. There is a good way 
to deconstruct and to reconstruct your faith. And that's what we wanna encourage you to do through this campaign. So we're talking about how to reconstruct our faith. And to begin this campaign, we're gonna look at one very dramatic example. <laughs> we're gonna go through this and be like, man, my deconstruction wasn't quite like that, <laughs> right? And that's normal, right? <laughs> this is an extremely dramatic case, but it perfectly illustrates how we tend to go through this. So Philippians 3 verse 1 is where we're going to start. We're going to look at the example of the Apostle Paul. So if you're familiar with Paul's story, kind of keep this running in the background. We'll go through it in the devotional on Tuesday, how he's on the road to Damascus to go persecute Christians, to arrest them and put them in prison. This is in the first few years of the early church. And on the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus. And when he meets Jesus, he, his whole life changes. That's where he enters into this deconstruction phase. So let's just read it from his own words how he views his transition from construction to deconstruction to reconstruction. Philippians 3, starting in verse 1. He's writing this letter to the Philippians. He says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. He says, rejoice. This is the, one of the primary themes throughout the whole book of Philippians. And Paul's writing this from prison. Either uh, He's been in prison for a while, most likely. He's either... Uh, uh, He's likely in Rome or he's waiting to go to Rome and he's in prison. And he says, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. So now he's, he's going to teach them and encourage them. He says, watch out for those dogs. <laughs> harsh, harsh words. But what he's doing, so um, what, what's happening in the church in Philippi is this group of Judaizers, they're called. They came in. Uh, these Jewish uh, people who were Jewish and now they converted to Christianity. They came into the church and they're trying to convince everybody in the church that they need to be circumcised. They need to follow all of the Old Testament uh, dietary laws. They need to follow the, uh, the ceremonial days, the Sabbath. They need to follow all of those aspects of Judaism now that they're Christians. And Paul says, no, no, no. <laughs> he's going to say, pump the brakes. And the irony of this word dogs is he's... That's the derogatory term that the Jews usually use to refer to Gentiles. Paul is now using it to refer to the Jews who are trying to uh, make new Christians act more Jewish. Okay, so it's a, it's a subtle little flip there, and it would have hurt, okay? It would have hurt if you were a Judaizer reading this. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, now, circumcision in this day and age, it's not like we think of it today. Uh, it was, you would circumcise your boys on the eighth day as a uh, ritual practice, as an indicator that you were a part of the people of Israel. This was the sign that you were part of the covenant people of God, or the people of Israel, okay? So Paul is saying that uh, they want you to all be circumcised now that you've accepted Jesus, and he's saying they're, they're just mutilating the flesh. There's nothing to it, okay? Uh, we are the circumcision, the, the the people who adopt his gospel and who believe what Paul taught about Jesus said, we're the true people of God is what he means by that. Meaning we're following Jesus. And here's what he means. Uh, we who serve God by his spirit. So we serve by the spirit of God. We are filled with the spirit of God. We who boast in Christ Jesus. So they don't boast in their flesh, says it. And who put no confidence in the flesh, in their righteousness, in the fact that they followed through with the law and were circumcised, like all of that stuff. 
That's not what indicates that you're a part of the people of God. It's that you serve God by the Spirit. You boast in Christ Jesus and his righteousness. And now he's going to go on and say, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. So he's saying, if you want to boast in the flesh and in your self-righteousness and your good works and your ancestry, if you can trace your lineage back to Abraham, you want to boast in all of that stuff, go for it. I have more reason to boast in it than any of you. <laughs> so he's, he's doing some like foolish boasting, like he says in the book of 2 Corinthians, where he goes on this long rant about, hey, these apostles who are super apostles, they're trying to influence you. They have nothing on me, is what he's saying. But I don't preach to you. I don't preach to you out of that mentality of my former life and my self-righteousness because that doesn't mean anything anymore. That's what he's going with. All right. So going on. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Remember, an indicator that you are a part of the people of God. It was written in the law of Moses. That's what you do. Okay. So even before Paul can make any decisions for himself, he was obeying the law. <laughs> he did it right. His parents did it. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was a special tribe among the tribes of Israel. We'll go through that in the devotional a little bit. A Hebrew of Hebrews. So what he's saying is he's pointing back to the Old Testament or to his lineage. He was a descendant of Abraham. For them, this was huge. Okay. John preached on it last week where that conversation with um, some Jewish people just escalated really quickly, and they kept saying, we're descendants of Abraham. We're descendants, our father's Abraham. Who's your father? It's in John 8. It escalates quickly, and they just keep returning to that and how their lineage or their, their ancestry traced back to Abraham is a source of their identity. Their, their nationality is a, is a part of their identity. And so Paul says, that was a part of my identity, was my nationality. The fact that I was descended from Abraham, who I was. He says, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, that meant uh, he knew the law really, really well. He had like memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. Okay, that includes Leviticus and Deuteronomy. If you've ever read through those, you're like, oh my gosh. He had memorized these things. He knew them incredibly well. Brilliant, brilliant scholar says in Galatians, he mentions that he, uh, he studied under Gamaliel and he was more advanced than many beyond his age. Or he was advanced beyond many his age. So he knew his stuff. This was, he knew the law. This was his career. This was his job. His source of financial security was the fact that he was a Pharisee. Okay, this was his, uh, this gave him credibility within the community. So people looked up to him. He had status, he had social standing because he was a Pharisee. So his nationality, his ancestry, his job, his social circles, and his social credibility are wrapped up in him being a Pharisee and being a child of Abraham. As for zeal, persecuting the church. So he, was, he didn't just believe this stuff about the Old Testament. He was so zealous for it that he was willing to go persecute Christians and put them in prison. He even oversaw the stoning of Stephen. So he didn't just believe it, he acted on it. And he acted on it because he thought he was serving God and doing what God would have wanted him to do to keep the, the law pure. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So he fought his, mor his morality was faultless. Nobody could find fault with him. 
He followed the law as best as he could. And then, as we said, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and everything changed. He tells the story in Galatians briefly, uh, and you can read about it in Acts. We'll read about it in the devotional. When he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, he goes into Damascus, right? He's, he's blind. Ananias comes and prays for him. He receives the Holy Spirit. And then uh, the book of Acts kind of just keeps going. Paul tells us that he spent three years, three years deconstructing is essentially what he was doing. It says he went out to Arabia, and then he came back to Damascus. So we don't know how much time he spent in each place. But three years, he met Jesus, and then he spent three years in a phase of like, what do I do with this? I just had this experience with a guy who's supposed to be dead. I was blind. I was going to like put his followers in prison. What? This doesn't compute with my whole life. Okay. Deconstructing can be scary. And for Paul, it was incredibly scary because he had based his truth system on this. He had based his morality on this. His entire social circle was wrapped up in his uh, being a Pharisee and following the law. Those are really important parts of what it means to be a healthy human being. And if that comes down, what now? So he spends three years unpacking this thing. Is this really true? Like, if Jesus is true, if this is real, if what happened to me is a real experience, this changes everything. So he spent three years deconstructing, and here's what we're going to rest in. We're going to stay here for a good while throughout this campaign. Band, you guys in here, you guys can come up and get set. We're going to get started in just a few minutes here. Verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So he meets Jesus, and now he says, all the rest of this, like all that other stuff that I used to put my identity in, that I used to build my whole life around, I, I consider it loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Paul lost everything to follow Jesus. And it's not that those things didn't have value. It's because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Those things have a little value, but knowing Jesus, that is so valuable. He is so glorious. He is so wonderful that all of those things just pale in comparison to knowing Christ. He says, I consider them garbage. The word garbage is not strong enough there, but they want to keep the Bible PG. It means refuse, excrement, can be used of kitchen scraps, the stuff that you throw in the disposal. He says, all of that other stuff, all of my righteousness, my learning, all of that, my social circles, my power as a Pharisee, it, it, it means nothing compared to knowing Jesus. It's garbage that I can gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Just listen to Paul. I imagine as he's writing this, he's writing this out and he probably just wanted to have one sentence of that first one. I consider everything lost for the sake of knowing Christ. 
but then it just like flows out of him. He can't stop. I, I can't imagine him writing this without crying. He is probably weeping. Tears are dropping from his eyes as he's writing this. And just listen to how he speaks. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. So that's how Paul reconstructed his faith. When I come back, we'll talk about that a little more, but let's pray. Lord, Jesus, that is our heart's cry. May our heart's cry be to know you more, because Jesus, when we have experienced you, everything else pales in comparison to knowing you, to being found in you. So Jesus, we love you. Be honored and glorified as we praise you now. It's in your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Let's sing together, guys.
your presence is the promise for I am a pilgrim on a
from stumbling and in my weakness you are the strength that comes from within good shepherd of my soul take my hand Yes, Lord. God, would you be the shepherd? Lord, when we have doubts, when we don't know, would you be the shepherd? Thank you, Lord. How I love you. How I love Come on, sing it out. You.
Lord, I pray for all of us as we're singing these words that they would really just rest in our heart and be true. That Lord, we need you. Like we need sustenance, we need you. Jesus, we love you. And with you is where we want to be. May that be the heart, the foundation, the center of our faith and our life with you. Is to know your presence, to experience you, to grow in love for you and in love for others. Because Jesus, you are just so lovely, you are so perfect, and you are so worthy of our praise and adoration like nobody else. Amen. You guys can have a seat for a few moments. We're going to read the last few verses of this one more time. And I've highlighted in yellow up here on the screen just how Paul characterizes his relationship with Jesus. And that is a very good way of describing it, is a relationship with Jesus. Is what Paul is trying to describe here. He's trying to put words to something that there are no words for. That you, you can't explain sufficiently with vocabulary and human language. This is something that you must just know and experience and live in. So whatever I say about this and whatever the Apostle Paul is trying to say comes up woefully short. But what he's trying to get at is this experience of the presence of Christ and knowing Jesus. Paul says, whatever were gains to me, meaning the constructed faith that I had, the way that I lived, my right theology, my morality, all of that stuff, my social credibility, I consider it loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. One of Paul's favorite phrases, one of John's favorite phrases, is knowing Christ. When he talks about knowing Christ, it's not just the theoretical knowledge of him. It's knowing somebody like you know a friend, like you know a spouse, like you know a child or a parent. It's relating to them. Relationship with them is such a good way of describing it. Yes, to know. And, and here Paul is using this. He says what it means to know Christ is to experience what Christ experienced. The power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul, his faith in Jesus is so strong that he knows that if, even if he dies, even if he is persecuted, just like Jesus was, he's acting like Christ, and so he will be raised like Christ, and so he can rejoice in that even. The big idea today is very simple. The goal of Reconstruction is always knowing Jesus more. It's always knowing Jesus more. 
Remember, Paul described his faith in Christ as, as knowing Christ, gaining Christ, being found in Christ, faith in Christ. Today we talk about it as a relationship with Christ. Again, what Paul is trying to get at here is the indescribable. And for many of us, <laughs> this is what you must experience. So if, if you're reading this and you're like, I don't get it. What's, what's he so passionate about? Like this knowing Christ, this gaining Christ, that other stuff sounds pretty good. Why, why is he willing to consider all of that as loss for Jesus? This what, that's what the life in Christ is all about. When you've experienced his presence, everything else pales in comparison to that. That means it, it really doesn't matter if you said a prayer when you were six years old. If you don't know Christ like this, you don't know Christ. This is what it means to know Christ. To have this relationship with him. To experience his presence and to know his presence. And when we approach our faith and our reconstruction like this, when we begin to question, and this must be the foundation of it, questions are great. I love questions. Stay curious. Always be curious. But it must be rooted in this. This desire to know Jesus more. This cannot be shaken. It is this experience with Christ that will be the root and the foundation and so as you reconstruct your faith, as you ask questions and come to answers and seek out the scriptures and look for truth, this will be the root of it and the foundation is knowing Jesus more. That is how to do reconstruction, is out of a desire and a heart to truly know Jesus. If that is the foundation, your foundation won't be shaken as you question. We must know Christ more. And then when we do that, everything else pales in comparison. It's all garbage compared to this experience with Christ. And so it's not a problem to say, yeah, I was really wrong about that. <laughs> I didn't know what I was talking about. Because Jesus is worth it. It's okay. Like, you can be wrong. Everybody's wrong from time to time. But man, we struggle to say stuff like that. Like, I sinned. I was flawed. I messed up. But that's all garbage compared to knowing Jesus. It creates in us an air of humility. Because when we know Jesus, he is so worth it. As Paul says, he considers it all lost because of the great value of knowing Christ. I think of it like this, that my kids, my, my kids love to collect rocks and shells. We have bags and buckets of little rocks and she, seashells. Like we went to the park the other day or a couple weeks ago and my son Shiloh, it was a long hike out to the beach, and we went to uh, Lake Michigan up north of Milwaukee. And it was a long hike. My son Shiloh lugged this big old rock from the beach. Like, it was like a mile and a half walk all the way back to the car because he wanted this rock. He thought it was so cool. And it's sitting in our garage right now, and he forgot it even existed. But <laughs> we, we have that, and we have like hundreds and hundreds of rocks and shells laying around the house. Because for, for them, they think that's cool. I think that's amazing. They're, they find a rock with a little sparkle in it, and when the sun hits it, and they're like, man, this must be super valuable. It's valuable to them. I don't get it. They're very sweet, very naive. Um, <laughs> but that's because they don't know the value of, like, a pure diamond. Like, if you've bought an engagement, they're expensive, right? They're very expensive, but they're 
beautiful to look at. And so when we find Christ, when we meet Christ, it's like he's the diamond. And so everything else pales in comparison. Everything else is just rocks. Your self-righteousness is rocks. Your theology that you thought was right, it's rocks. It's okay. It, it's no, knowing Jesus. You're, it was all about Jesus and everything else just kind of, although it's important, it's secondary to knowing Jesus. You don't have to defend our ideas that we bought into 20 years ago. <laughs> and now we realize that they were wrong because Jesus is worth it because of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. When we do that, we don't have to excuse our bad behavior because your righteousness isn't in your actions anyways because your righteousness is in Jesus and in his work on the cross for you. When we know Jesus and the desire of constructing our faith around him is about him and knowing him, your national identity, it's garbage. In the words of Paul, if I can quote Paul, <laughs> don't blame me, blame Paul. And blame the Holy Spirit in that case too. It's garbage compared to knowing Jesus. So all of those things, we're saying, I'm, I'm an American, so this is what I do. This is what it means to be an American. I eat barbecue, I do whatever. I went to Texas over my sabbatical, so it's all about barbecue right now. <laughs> Which is another good example. I'm from Texas, this is what Texans do. A very strong state identity. Um, <laughs> it, it all becomes worthless compared to knowing Jesus. Your local identity. Just mentioned Texas, okay? Texas has a very strong local identity. If you have this like strong, I'm from Burlington identity, and this is what we do. <laughs> We're from Burlington. We talk about Tony Romo, and he's a great football player, but we don't need to talk about Tony Romo all the time. I know your second cousin went to school with him, and all, that's cool. It's all good. Um, <laughs> Whatever we pride ourselves on, being our local identity, it all pales in comparison to knowing Jesus. Family identity is another big one. I'm an Adams. Adams work hard. They work with their hands and they get things done. It doesn't matter because I know Jesus. And if Jesus changes my national identity, my local identity, if things change because of knowing Jesus, great. Because Jesus becomes a more, I would get a more pure picture of Jesus. And I learn to love him more and know him more. And that's the goal. So all of this other stuff pales in comparison to knowing Jesus. Paul said, another big one, your career success. Climbing the ladder, your accomplishments, your achievements. Even if you have to go all the way back to high school and sports. <laughs> all conference, baby. You're still hanging your hat on that. Cool, it's great. <laughs> but when you meet Jesus, that success, that secondary identity, it all, even if it's important, it pales in comparison. You can look at it and say, this is garbage compared to knowing Jesus. And not because that isn't cool or that isn't important, but because Jesus is so great because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Your tribe, whoever you identify with, 
again, whether it's your nationality, your career, the things that you do, the things that you like, the things that you're good at, the way you look, the way you dress, the beverages you like to drink, whatever. Hipsters are strange. Um, whatever you deem to be your group, when you meet Jesus, he becomes your group. Everything else pales in comparison to knowing him. We count it all lost for the sake of knowing Christ. When I was on sabbatical, I had to, <laughs> I end up doing, normally, I listen to a lot of podcasts on like cultural stuff, um, how Christians should think about this and how we should act in culture. And I think it's all really good. It's true for the most part. And I sift through it. And I love thinking about that stuff. I listen to the Bible Project. I love diving deep and studying scripture and all of that stuff. On sabbatical, I had to do a detox, <laughs> even from the good stuff. The first couple weeks I was listening to that and I was like, I can't do this anymore. It's not helping. But a part of my detox, I just picked up the New Testament, picked up the Gospels, and just started reading about Jesus. And that was so good for me to just encounter Christ again and to unravel Jesus from all, all of the good stuff even, the true stuff, all the cultural stuff going on around us that we have to make decisions on and believe and think and truth and all of that. I just had to look at Jesus. And it refreshed my soul so much. Because Jesus is so great. He's so awesome. And everything else in your life, everything else that is a part of your identity that you hang your hat on, it all pales in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's close our eyes and just pray for a moment. And I want you to reflect on that. Just want you to say again and again and again the words of Paul. I consider everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And whatever comes to mind of what you considered gain before, I consider it all loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Lord God, we confess that all too often we place too much of our identity in even being right in our heritage, in our nationality, in our culture, in our personality, in our career. And Lord, we just want to say collectively as a community, 
and individually as your beloved followers that we consider it all loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And Jesus, you are our Lord. So lead us and guide us into your truth, into your way, to know you more. Lord, so it is not a, it isn't even a loss to go back and reconstruct and rethink and rebuild these things because we have you. And that's what matters. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray and sing. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more song in Christ alone together.
you, Lord, so much that you're the center of it all. Lord, I pray that uh, as you bring these questions, as you bring deconstruction into our life, that we would reconstruct around you. Christ, be the center of our lives, God, because you're all that matters. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Before you guys go, if you need prayer, Kurt will be in the back. I would love to pray with you before we head out. If not this week, go <laughs> and seek to know Jesus more. Whatever you need to do to know Jesus more, to spend time with him, to commune with him, to read about him, to love him more. Go in peace. Thanks for being here.